You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. Capsule endoscopy, what are the advantages and what are the associated risks? Joining us to discuss capsule endoscopy is Dr. Nuzat Ahmad, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Department of Medicine and Associate Director of Endoscopic Services at Penn Medicine. Dr. Ahmad, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Why don't we start very basically, since this is a newer technology, and and could you describe to us what exactly capsule endoscopy is? So it's not really a new technology. It's relatively new. It was introduced at the turn of the century, that is in 2000, and it basically is a non-invasive technology designed primarily to provide diagnostic imaging of the small bowel, which is a site that has proven peculiarly difficult to visualize in the past. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. And uh, capsule suggests that this is something that uh, the patient would swallow. Is that how this is performed? Yes. So it's a small, about 11 by 26 millimeter, that's the size. It's a small capsule which has a camera at one end that the patient swallows. It travels through the small bowel just by naturally using peristalsis, and it takes about two images per second. Hmm. So, and, you know, the battery life that the camera has lasts for about eight hours. So it takes about 55,000 images, and these images are then transferred via a transmitter or a recorder, I should say, onto a workstation where they're downloaded and then viewed in a video format. Almost like a wireless computer would be. The capsule takes the images and it's directly transmitted to this recorder. Yes, it's directly transmitted to a recorder that the patient wears for the duration of the exam, which is about eight hours. But then later on, the patient comes back, returns the pack to us, and we connect it to the computer, download the images, and then view them as a video. So it's about a total of 55,000 images that we have to view to pick the needle in the haystack sometimes. Ah, and is there computer assistance in viewing these images, or is it all done by the gastroenterologist? There is some software that helps, like, for instance, there's something called a red blood indicator, which goes off. You can use the program to click to use that indicator, which will go off if the patient has fresh blood in the small bowel. That has very poor sensitivity and specificity. So basically, we end up viewing everything ourselves, all the images ourselves. And do you need special training to view these images, or are they pretty similar to what you would see with an endoscope in the colon or in the esophagus? The images are slightly different than what one would see with the regular endoscope. And the reason is because we don't have any air insufflation with these. This Mm. is just, you know, the capsule moving via natural peristalsis through the small bowel. So if, let's say, a lesion, you may end up seeing a lesion just on one frame, and that's it. And you sometimes have to make a diagnosis based on that single frame. Unlike an endoscopy, you cannot maneuver the capsule, you know, backwards and forwards to re-image that lesion. So there is a difference in the visualization of the mucosa, but it really is a question of not really retraining your eye to look at the mucosa, but sort of looking at it in a more, in a different fashion, if you will. We do not require special training. Almost anyone who performs endoscopy can read capsule endoscopies. The society actually has come up with, uh, I think, 25 capsules that have to be read prior to you being able to train other people to read capsules. I imagine based on where in the sequence of images the lesion might be found, you can localize it to a particular part of the small intestine? No, you cannot. Oh, you cannot. Okay. You cannot. You can give a best guess estimate. I mean, what we can tell is when the capsule enters the stomach, 
Mm-hmm. We can tell when the capsule enters the duodenum, and then we can tell when the capsule enters the cecum. So in between that, you can sort of estimate where the capsule is, but we can absolutely not localize the lesion. You know, one of the concerns that patients have about this is what is the preparation for an endoscopy and, and what is the experience for the patient? How does that work for capsule endoscopy? So there's no consensus on whether patients should get prepped before a capsule or not. At Penn, I know that we do not prep patients. The only prep we ask them to do is not eat or drink for 12 hours, so basically fast for 12 hours before the procedure. But there have been a number of studies that have looked at different preps. And I think recently there was a meta-analysis that came out looking at 12 studies. That meta-analysis did demonstrate that if a prep was used, it resulted in better visualization and an improved diagnostic yield. But to be honest, between all the you know societies and the experts in the field, there really is no consensus. Because I think the beauty of capsule endoscopy is that, you know, you come in, you swallow the capsule, you go home, you do whatever you do for the rest of the day. Uh, You can drink after two hours, you can eat after four hours, and, you know, you come back and voila, we have all these images. So taking a prep the night before sort of detracts from that a little bit. I can understand that, absolutely. And there aren't really any limitations other than what you said, wait two hours to drink, four hours to eat. You can uh, perform all other activities. Yes. Exactly. That's very interesting. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me discussing capsule endoscopy is Dr. Nuzat Ahmad, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Department of Medicine and Associate Director of Endoscopic Services at Penn Medicine. Dr. Ahmad, I imagine bleeding is one of the main indications for this type of study. Are there other indications? There are. So obscure GI bleeding is perhaps the best studied indication for capsule endoscopy. And in reality, I think that's the most common indication that it's used for. Other indications are suspected Crohn's disease. We also use this for suspected small bowel tumors. Also in patients who have small bowel imaging which has demonstrated an abnormality that we want to suss out a little bit more. Those are the main indications. There are also other evolving indications. Evolving really depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. It's also used as a diagnostic tool for celiac disease when, you know, the suspicion or pretest probability for the disease is really high, but all of the tests have been negative. It is also used as a surveillance tool in patients who have familial polyposis syndromes. But those are really the main. But I think the bulk of the patients that we see in practice are either obscure GI bleeding, which can be overt or occult, or um, suspected Crohn's disease. And in the workup of GI bleeding, I imagine upper endoscopy, if you have melanoma, is the first step. Is it standard then to go to the capsule endoscopy, or would you do a colonoscopy, or has to be individualized? It is individualized. Absolutely, you're right. But it also depends on sometimes the insurance companies. Some insurance do demand that the patient should have had an adequate, quote-unquote, adequate endoscopic workup prior to a capsule, which means an endoscopy and a colonoscopy, even if the patient presents with melanoma. So normally what we do, let's say if somebody comes with melanoma and we can't figure it out, so we'll do an endoscopy first, and the next test will be a colonoscopy to rule out a right-sided lesion in the colon, meaning in the cecum or in the ascending colon, which can present with melanoma. And then if that is negative, we go to a capsule endoscopy. Okay, well, that makes sense since I I think of melanoma being upper GI usually, but right-sided colon lesions can produce those black tarry stools as well. If motility is slow enough, yes. 
I see. Are there any uh, contraindications to doing a capsule endoscopy study? So there are uh, very few absolute contraindications. One of them is pregnant women because mm-hmm. it has not been studied in pregnant women. The other contraindications are all actually relative contraindications because if you have to individualize mm-hmm. care in each patient. So these include small bowel obstruction. If this completes small bowel obstruction, obviously that patient should not get a capsule endoscopy because the capsule will get retained. Mm -hmm. So in that case, the decision has to be made with a surgeon as to what is the question being asked and will the capsule add any information that will be helpful to the surgeon and will the surgeon be willing to operate, et cetera, et cetera. So other relative contraindications are pacemakers and defibrillators. The FDA has not approved capsule endoscopy for patients who have these devices but there have been a number of case series in the literature that have demonstrated safety in these patients. At Penn, I know we do, patients who have pacemakers and defibrillators, you know, we explain to them in the consent that this is sort of an off-label use of the device, Mm -hmm. and we monitor them for eight hours. I think I've done about 13 or 15 patients in my practice and have not had any problems. Of course, other contraindications are if the patient is unable to swallow the capsule, Mm -hmm. but if the indication is clinically significant enough or uh, is appropriate, then we do have devices that uh, help with placement of the capsule endoscopically. So I think those, in a nutshell, are the major contraindications. I don't know enough about the electronics of things, but is there a, a theoretical reason why the technology of the capsule might interfere with the technology of pacemakers? It's, I think it's a theoretical, that's the correct word, ah. interfering with the function of the pacemaker or the defibrillator. Uh, because there is transmission of JPEG images from the capsule to a recorder that's worn by the patient. Mm-hmm. But it has not panned out in real studies. Has anybody looked at any uh, utility of this technology to look at the colon? There is a colon capsule that has been developed by a company. It is not available and not FDA approved in the U.S. A number of studies have come up from Europe mainly, and there was a very prominent study in the New England Journal last year in 2000 and nine, where they studied patients with this colon capsule and compared it to colonoscopy. But the diagnostic yield for uh, cancers and for advanced adenomas was not as good as colonoscopy. In fact, for cancers, they only picked up 74% of the cancers as compared to colonoscopy. So I don't think it's ready for prime time yet. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's not. And, and I would imagine if it's being used in the colon, then you would certainly need some type of prep. Absolutely. They take a PrEP. The studies that have described the use of the colon capsule have described a PrEP that the patient takes the day beforehand and also on the morning of the exam. And then again, you have to remember that if a polyp is visualized in a colon capsule, then the patient has to get a colonoscopy to have the polyp removed. And in fact, just circling back to capsule endoscopy, I think the biggest disadvantage is that we can't treat using a capsule and we cannot biopsy Mm -hmm. using a capsule. So If we find something, we usually have to go to another endoscopic test. That makes sense. So it is a way to look at the small bowel in a fashion that we've never been able to, but does have those limitations about both diagnostically and therapeutically. Right. We can look, but we can't touch. (laughs) Okay. And I imagine the development of this has hinged uh, somewhat on smaller cameras and technical advances. As you look to the future, do you see any additional advances with this technology? Since it hit the market about approximately 10 years ago, 9 or 10 years ago, you know, we have seen advances. It's uh, better visualization. That's the main one. Then the company has come up with different tools where we can read the capsule quicker 
like multiple screens or multiple images that can be read synchronously. But I think the future is going to be towards developing capsules which can actually perform biopsies, perhaps even injection therapies, even stop bleeding. And there have been a number of, not studies, because this is still in the very developmental phase, a number of talks that I saw at DDW, which is our big digestive disease week of robotic capsules that can be maneuvered using remote control devices and that can actually perform biopsies as well. And in the current state, is there any data about sensitivity, specificity, or or is there really no gold standard to compare this to? I mean, I think sensitivity and specificity has been looked at for specific indications. Like, for instance, overall, we know that capsule endoscopy has a higher diagnostic yield as compared to the other gold standards that we had, which were push enteroscopy, which is an endoscopic way of looking at the small bowel, but can only go up to about 120 centimeters beyond the ligament of trite. So it can only look at a certain distance. It cannot visualize the entire small bowel. Mm -hmm. And the other gold standard that we had was barium studies of the small bowel. A number of studies were done which do demonstrate that capsule endoscopy has a higher diagnostic yield as compared to these studies. When we look at specific indications, there have been, again, uh, studies that have looked at this. And I think for obscure GI bleeding, there was a meta-analysis that was done. And capsule endoscopy had a diagnostic yield for lesions of 63% versus 26% for push enteroscopy. Mm. And it was less than 10% for barium studies. We also know that the diagnostic yield for capsule endoscopy in obscure bleeding is highest when the patient has had a recent episode. There is data that's looking at this saying that we are more likely to get a diagnosis or to find a lesion that's bleeding if we perform the capsule as soon as possible after a bleeding episode as compared to a remote bleeding episode. So a major step forward, but the timing of it also plays into its diagnostic accuracy. Absolutely. For bleeding, yes. Absolutely. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Nuzat Ahmad from Penn Medicine for being our guest this week. She's been describing for us an exciting, non-invasive way that we can get diagnostic information about lesions and diseases in the small bowel and has even outlined uh, some possible future uses of this technology where we may be able to get more diagnostic information via biopsy and perhaps even one day therapeutically address lesions in the small bowel. Dr. Ahmad, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.